Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Jay and Mike Take Flight podcast. As we record this, it is December 22nd, 2020. We're right before the Christmas break. And I wanted to say that last podcast, since we recorded, we were talking about Cyberpunk 2077 and its launch issues. And holy shit, it has supremely gone downhill since then, with <laughs> the game being delisted off of PSN. Uh, a whole big uh, bunch of issues going on with uh, refunds not being issued and refunds then being issued and Sony not, you know, authorizing those refunds and, you know, CD Projekt Red, you know, telling everybody to go to Sony and get those refunds. Then we also have now apparently uh, a, new, a new new story broke where CD Projekt Red is now going to be sued by their investors for apparently misleading them with information that was not accurate as to what the game actually was. It's a whole shit show. We've got that on the podcast, and we're also going to be discussing the ending of Mandalorian Season 2. The finale just came out last Friday as we're recording this, and it was a fucking big one. So uh, going back to the cyberpunk stuff, with all this chaos surrounding it, Mike, how the fuck did we get here? I don't know, man. I I kind of want to go back to the days when like cyberpunk was still on the horizon. And like everyone wasn't mad at CD Projekt Red, but um, I mean it, it's a doozy that investors are, are wanting to sue. And it's like, what do you mean you guys want to sue? You're the ones who forced the game out. You shareholders wanted the game to come out because you wanted that sweet CDPR moolah. And uh, my God, man, it, don't get me wrong. Uh, management made mistakes. They definitely lied about the state of the game. But uh, all this shit that they are getting, uh, especially the developers, the developers, they're they're doing everything they can. All hands are on deck to, you know, flatten out, iron out all the bugs in this game. You know, my hat off to them. But uh, they're, they're catching so much shit and the developers shouldn't be catching nearly as much shit as they are all of this all of this ire and hatred needs to needs to head aim a little higher need to head to the top of the food chain on this one uh because going after developers going hitting developers with death threats and any of that shit it's 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 a fucking bad luck bad optics all the way and um i was surprised when uh when they delisted the game off PSN network completely. And it's like, what? They've never done this. Or they've never done this to a game that's been broken. They they didn't do it for Fallout 76. They didn't do it for, um, they didn't do it for Anthem, which, oh my God. And if they're not going to do it for Fallout 76 or No Man's Sky, which was also just, a complete misrepresented game to begin with but um if and if if they didn't do if they didn't delist any of those games why cyberpunk and uh i mean i've heard on reddit that it's because cdpr came to a decision with sony with all the refunds coming in that hey just delist the game this way pe- people can't buy it and then eventually want to return it but uh I mean, even then, you're going to tell me that Fallout 76 didn't get as many uh, refund requests as Cyberpunk is? I I, I would think that Fallout 76 got even more. 
That game was fucking busted at release. I'm I'm not even sure I'd I'd want to play it now. Like, and that's after they've put a good year and a half of work into it, and it's like I I still wouldn't play it. That's it. Just wasn't my wasn't my thing. But uh, Cyberpunk is, and uh, I do want to play it eventually. But I'm gonna wait for CDPR to do their thing because we know they're good for it. They're gonna do their thing. They're gonna fix all of the bad stuff. They're gonna fix well as much as they possibly can, and, uh, and then obviously they gotta work on the next gen version of and uh, The Witcher, which that's that's a lot. That's a lot to have on your plate as a developer. And uh, I feel for CDPR, man. I feel for the developers because a lot of people are now saying, oh, their reputation is tarnished, this, that, and the third. And I don't agree. I don't agree whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say their reputation is tarnished. I mean, they have, you know, based off the just the Witcher series alone, really, they have a, a pretty good, you know, track record of doing right by people. And I, I've gone over this with people in social media. I've gone over this with people, you know, in person. The Witcher 3 launched in a shit state. I mean, not unlike Cyberpunk. Yeah, it wasn't to the severity and not at, reported as widely because, you know, after The Witcher 3 is really when the hype train went off for uh, CD Projekt Red's, uh, I should say, projects, for lack of a better word. And, you know, the hype really took off. But honestly... I believe as long as CD Projekt Red remains committing to committed to fixing the game, it will be fixed at some point. I can't see them just taking the L and accepting the game in this condition and just letting it be what it was going to be. A lot of these issues that they're suffering today is because of corporate greed from the higher ups in the company and not blaming this on the development team, but the people above them. And then you also have the other end of the coin is where you have a fan base that is very fanboyish and I hate to use that term because it's a term I don't even like but that is very fanboyish and it's willing like we said uh we're willing to send death threats you know to the development team because the game got delayed you know you're dealing with a fan base that's not going to accept anything less than perfection and if the game had even come out of the come out and it even you know let's say even in a better state than it is now, but even with a few bugs, I feel like still there would have been, you know, that that big portion of the fan base that would have cried, you know, foul, bloody murder, you know, about Ooh. that because they wanted, you know, the game to be nothing less than what their expectations have built up in their head for the past years that they've heard about this game. And then you also got, you know, the fucking idiots that just can't wait. And it's like, I get that people are asking for refunds and from what I've heard, you know, to kind of, you know, play devil's advocate from, you know, what you read on Reddit was that the reason that Sony decided to pull the band hammer out and delist Cyberpunk from the store was because CD Projekt Red was telling people, hey, you know, if you want a refund for the game, you got to go to PSN and, you know, people were going to PSN and, you know, we're filing, you know, for refunds. But tech tip, I should say typically, that's not how refunds work on PSN. You download the game, you try the game, and unless the game has some kind of, you know, the developer has put in a certain thing in their contract where they say, you know, people are allowed to try the game for 15 or 25 minutes, and, you know, you know, if they don't like it, they're allowed to ask for a refund. That's not how that works with PSN. Usually PSN, once you download the specific title and it's installed on your console and you boot the fucking thing up, it's done. There's no refunds. 
And the fact that CD Projekt Red didn't clear this with PSN in the first place and just sent people toward them asked to ask for refunds pissed PSN off. And PSN was like, all right, we're just going to delist it if you want to fuck with us. And they delisted it. And then CD Projekt Red came out, you know, well, we came to a mutual agreement. Like, nobody knows if that's the case, if they actually did, or PSN was just like, hey, we're not going to keep giving away, you know, giving back, I should say, giving back money on a product that belongs to you that you guys fucked up on. And like you were saying, I feel bad for the developers because they crunched a lot to get this game out, even in the state it is. They, you know, you know, they crunched and they did a lot of sacrificing. And I'm sure, you know, during these COVID times or already a lot of staffs are half staffed and people are not, you know, companies and publishers are not working at full capacity like they usually would. This is killer. This this is a big pain in the ass, especially for this being your big game. It's not like CG Project Red is pulling an Activision or a Treyarch where they're able to pull, pull a game out every other year. I mean, these big and British projects are taking sometimes, you know, between minimum four to eight years at a time to, to push out. And it's like, they're not just pulling these out of their ass. This is a development team that does love what they do and they love the games they create and they try to bring us cutting edge games that take advantage of the technology of our times. But it's unfortunate that this had to happen. I feel like it's, I'm not blaming any one party, but I feel like there's a lot of factors in this melting pot that are kind of affecting everything, whether it be the fanboy community, whether it be, you know, the higher ups trying to, you know, wanted this game to be out at a certain time to meet that holiday release window, wanting it to be on on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, when it clearly those consoles were not anywhere near powerful enough to support those, you know, to support the game that the that the uh, CD Projekt Red team wanted to make and the you know their vision. All know it's fucking bullshit, and I wouldn't say to people, hey, you know, re- return the game. I I mean, if I owned it currently, whether digital or physical. I mean, I can understand it's in the shitty state, but me, I said this on the last episode, you're innocent till proven guilty, and they've already, in the meantime, dropped two patches. They're dropping another one, apparently, this upcoming week. They're dropping another big one in January and another one in February. They already have a commitment to fix what's wrong with the game. So, to me, if they're willing to do that already, that shows me they know things are wrong with the game, but they're trying to fix it and yes that doesn't excuse the fact that the game launched in the shitty state that it's in but I definitely believe as we get down this road to cyberpunk it has a great chance to fix itself up and to get better as time goes on oh yeah there's no doubt in my mind I uh I don't even think at this point six months I think it'll be like spring spring and that game will be mostly fixed um and you took the words right out of my mouth it's it's something we've seen too too often in the modern development cycle where games are super overhyped and if they're not finished sometimes they're very obviously not finished like uh, Cyberpunk was, or like Fallout 76 was, and boy, do they catch the heat uh, other times. It's weird, like No Man's Sky, where uh, they had had their computers destroyed by a flood, and Sean Murray decided to tell nobody about it in, in, the, in the gaming media, 
press, any anything. And they launched No Man's Sky as is after promising the very literal universe to everyone. And uh, we didn't find out that their computers had been damaged years down the road. And with, you know, with these modern development cycles, you only know so much as they want you to know, um, which is why, like, with Cyberpunk, we didn't see very much real gameplay. Like, we only saw what uh, CDPR wanted us to see, very controlled cutscenes. Um, anyone, reviewers, like Polygon, IGN, GameSpot, they couldn't use their own review footage. They had to use footage handed to them by CDPR. And uh, those are those are telltale signs that something's afoot. And uh, more people should have seen it coming instead of, you know, drinking that Kool-Aid that, no, oh, everything's fine. And, you know, we got what we got. And I have no doubt in my mind that CDPR will go above and beyond to make things right and give us the game that they feel is the true vision that they set out originally to do. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, like, people that are, you know, calling for their downfall and all this, I mean, it's unfortunate that the other thing I mentioned back in the intro was that apparently investors have started a clash action lawsuit against CD Projekt Red, you know, for misleading information. And I can get that those investors are probably supremely pissed with the higher-ups in that company who probably told them the game was going to be this, 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 and this, despite, you know, whatever qualms the development team may have had going into the launch of the game and I get that but it's like it, it's gonna be real a real sad day and a real shitty day if this great you know development team has to end up going to shit because you know of corporate greed and the fact that now a lawsuit seems like it's gonna eat into a big chunk of their revenue especially when they're already giving out refunds left and right like I personally don't know for a studio like them even though they have put out big projects in the grand scope of things, they don't have the history or the big track record of other big studios. I don't know if this clash action lawsuit does uh, come through from their investors, how they survive. Yeah, that's true. And don't get me wrong, they're not a small development team by any chance. They, they're they quite massive. But, um, yeah, like, I gotta know, like, is this, you know, what happens if this goes down the pipes and you they end up winning this class action lawsuit do you shut cdpr down I, that's that's really scary because i can't imagine their game being pawned off on some other developer who wants to take it or some other publisher i should say who wants to take it and uh ugh, like activision or, or ea and they're like yeah man we'll we'll do what you wanted us to do i i just have no idea how that would happen and i don't even want to think about it yeah, I mean, it, it's it's scary to think that it's entirely possible that, you know, they can just close down CDPR and, you know, somebody will just buy up all their assets or IPs and just be like, all right, we'll give it to another developer. But honestly, I mean, I don't know how much these investors have invested in CDPR and specifically the Cyberpunk 2077, you know, IP. It could be, uh, it could be, uh, you know, any amount of money but usually with a clash action lawsuit it's like one person sues the rest are have the choice to join in and they do join in everybody gets a cut of whatever that pool is but let's say let's say these total these investors are suing for you know 
whatever it is, a couple million dollars, you know, they're all going to get a cut of that back. And it's like, how do you fund your next project if now on top of refunds and also posting almost a $1 billion negative in revenue for this quarter because of the launch of Cyberpunk 2077? Mm-hmm. How do you come back when then on top of it, you probably got to go give investors over $100 million back of their money because they're pissed of the they're pissed about the launch it's like this is a no-win situation i don't understand how how you can continue to get hit from side to side and i guess to play devil's advocate as well if they get hit with this lawsuit it's like how where are you going to get the find find the, the money to keep paying this development team to go fix these patches and all these things if now you're dealing with a huge litigation where you now you have legal fees you have all types of other fees coming to you and you're still trying to worry about fixing a game and creating, you know, kind of molding the games for the next gen systems while you have all this going on. It's just, it, it, it's such a shit show. I, I I really feel bad for that development team and I really feel bad for the, the, pe- the honest people at that company who were trying to do right with the game that ultimately had their voices drowned out by those that were higher up and were more greedy in their intentions. Yeah. It's um, it's pretty. It's a sticky situation, to say the very least. And uh, I'm sure we'll find out that I, I'm sure we'll find out more about this coming in the coming months because CDPR ain't gonna be out of the news for a long time. Like, it, it, it'll probably dominate almost all of next year. Like, I could very much see that just being a thing. Just constant cyberpunk headlines and I'm sure by then either the shit will hit the fan or you know things will calm down and and you know order will will recommence and but uh, we'll see <laughs> yeah yeah I mean we will see and it's unfortunate that it had to come to this but uh you know at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you got to look at it this way, you know, or we live in this, you know, this current time frame and kind of, you know, way of life where everything's got to be fast, 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 this technological age of everything to the point. And unfortunately, you know, technology is not perfect. And, you know, the people that run technology, they're not perfect either. It means the development team, you know, for as much as they've done good, they, they can't get it right all the time. But I feel like, in the situation they were in, they weren't given the chance to get it right if the higher-ups really wanted this game to come out, no matter what at the time. And then you have, you know, the fans issuing death threats and complaining about the game being delayed. And it's like you were they really weren't in a win-now situation, no matter how they, you know, no matter what they went forward with. And, you know, they went forward with a decision. And unfortunately, that decision did backfire royally. But at the end of the day, I think from what we know of CD Projekt Red, they will come back and they'll be better for it. And I think if this was any other year, any other time and place, things would be wildly different. But unfortunately, this year has been crazy with the pandemic. And, you know, they're not the only ones. uh, They're not the only ones searching, you know, for answers as far as issues that they have going on with the company. And they're not the only ones, you know languishing currently at this time you know a lot of developers have gone this way and it's just crazy that not fallout 76 not no man's sky not even the avengers game which a lot of people were pissed off about 
got this or Anthem for that matter got this kind of black with Cyberpunk 2077 did which we would never would have thought of in our wildest dreams and it's just really sad and you know ridiculous but you know you said back there you know they kind of got themselves into a sticky situation and speaking of sticky situations one person that got themselves into a sticky situation was good old the Mandalorian in the season finale of season 2 that just aired this past Friday so We've been watching this season build up and currently the whole series as we've watched the build up and we kind of talked about, you know, the couple of episodes that had aired at that point, a couple of episodes back on our podcast, we talked about, you know, the big reveal that, uh, as everybody likes to call him, Baby Yoda, having a real name and his name was Grogu and that he had been trained by multiple Jedi Masters in the past and was actually, you know, he's 50 years old and he's actually seen a lot more shit than people are giving him credit for. And since then, we've had, you know, the return of, you know, Boba Fett. We've had Ahsoka, you know, Tano show up. We've had uh, Boba Tan show up. And we've had, you know, all these different characters show up. And now, you know, even Boba and the Mandalorian teaming up for an episode to, you know, kind of set up the, the season finale where, you know, Grogu has been kidnapped by Moff Gideon. He's currently on a star cruiser. And Moff Gideon wants to take the child to be experimented on so they can extract his blood and kind of create you know, either clones or kind of an army of force-sensitive beings off the child's blood, and Mando doesn't want this to happen, so he's rallying all the friends that he's made with his goodwill in the universe to come help him get the child, and that kind of, you know, sets the stage for where we're going in this final episode. So, you know, I know you you love this episode, so did I, but you're the big Star Wars guy, so tell us all about it. What, what did you like about this episode? What didn't you like? And uh, where do you see it going after, you know, you explain kind of what happened in this episode? Oh my god. Um, first off, for anyone listening, major incredible spoilers. If you have not seen the final episode, please go watch it and then come back to us so you can... You're not completely spoiled. But uh, Alright, I'll... I'll- you're right there. Let me just stop you for one second. That is right. I forgot to mention there are going to be a shit ton of spoilers between both of us speaking about this episode. So if you don't want to know the spoilers, skip forward to our next topic and I'll give you a five second head start. Five, four, three, two, one. Spoiler territory. Luke All right. fucking Skywalker. That's all I got. That's that's really all I have to say, man. Um, you know, we we see the the rise of the dark troopers. They assault Moff Gideon's ship. They're getting they, they're in a bad place. Uh, good old Mando gets the shit kicked out of him by one dark trooper. And uh, we see just from that little encounter alone, just how how powerful they can be, just how damaging they are, and you know. He manages to blow all of them out of the airlock, but you know, lo and behold, they basically just Iron Man themselves back into the ship. And uh, I know I'm like I'm skipping straight to the end here because that's where like all the uh, the stuff is happening. Like the beginning of the episode is pretty much you know like a typical kind of like hey let's make a plan to assault this ship and then let's procure what we need and then go go do the plan. And uh, in that in that way, it works. Uh, you know, the, the beginning of the episode is very kind of like standard Mandalorian fare, where we have him 
go see one person and they those two people go see another person and then they get in the thing and uh you know it's used as the plot the plot device it is to further the story to its inevitable crux and the crux we see is just you know oh so good so good i was ultimate warrior ultimate warrior in my way around my room just kind of like damn near wanting to flip my mattress over that like that's how like you know shaking with power and vengeance i was we see uh we see Bo-Katan, Mando, uh, uh, Cara Dune, they're all trapped on the bridge of Moff Gideon's ship after Moff Gideon's, you know, unsuccessful attempt at trying to take Mando down. Uh, the Dark Troopers have them trapped, you know, cock, rock, ready to rock. It's it's going down. But then you see an X-Wing out of, you know, the, the windows of the bridge and it's coming in and it's coming in for a landing. And you know, Cara Dune's like, oh, one X-Wing? Oh boy, some backup that is. And when you see the X-Wing and you're like, yeah, that is kind of weird. It is one X-Wing. What's up with that? But then they start looking at the monitors for the security for the whole ship. And you just see a cloaked figure walking throughout the hallways. And you're like, oh my God, that's, that's okay. That's weird. And then all of a sudden you see that this person has a lightsaber and you're like, oh my God, this is a Jedi. It's, what's going on here? They then cut to, you know, in scene, the situation that you're seeing, you see that that green blade, that emerald blade, you see this, the lightsaber and you're like, oh my God, that's Luke Skywalker. And lo and behold, it is, this man is demonstrating power like you've never seen before. It is the it is the respect that he did not get in the sequel trilogy and this man is just taking down all the dark troopers like you like they're made out of butter like the problems that uh, mandalorian had with them can't even he can't luke almost cannot even be touched it's it's just it's child's play for him going through all of it and uh one of the things uh, there's the final hallway when he comes up in the elevator and it almost mirrors the uh, the ending scene of Rogue One when Vader's taking on all the rebel uh, soldiers and it's, it's very reminiscent of the end of Rogue One Luke going through that hallway taken down systematically efficiently taking down these Dark Troopers much like Darth Vader took down all of the uh, albeit you know vader in a more brutal practice whereas luke you know is all grace and sword swipes um he takes down all the dark troopers we uh you know they they're like oh man i don't know if we should open the door and it's like uh, go ahead open the door you know you see grogu getting excited as he's watching luke tearing through these dark troopers like tissue paper and uh you know, we get to see Luke. Uh, of course, he is CG, um, his face is CGI, Mark Hamill, you know, completely de-aged, much like they did with Grand Moff Tarkin and Rogue One and Princess Leia. Um, but you know what? I don't care. It looks, it looks good. Uh, Mark Hamill, it, it is his voice, which, you know, for him being as old as he is, because he was, he sounded pretty gravelly in the sequel movies. And if, if that was him, you know, like bringing back his younger voice, well done, man. I know he's a professional voice actor, but 
that uh, that that like just and he doesn't have like a lot of lines, but the lines that he does deliver are just poignant. It, it's like, oh man, this is Luke Skywalker I know and love. You know, he's over here. You know, come little one, and I'm like, oh my god. We see uh, R2, R2D2 come up behind him a little bit later, and uh, he looks at Grogu, and you kind of you kind of have to wonder if R2D2 knows. He's like, oh man, that's a that's a little Yoda. I can't believe there's more of them. And uh, I was hoping that uh, R2D2 would kind of take out like the little flashlight from Empire Strikes Back <laughs> that Yoda was messing around with, and uh, he does his little patented R2 shuffle you know letting you know that he's like happy and stuff and uh, you know it's time at that point it was time for Groku to say goodbye to the Mandalorian and uh, we get a pretty emotional scene like you know I was I was choked up I was like oh man this you know this this is working this is working the you know the uh, this is working the heartstrings here uh, Mandalorian takes off his helmet you know, so Grogu can finally see his face, which I don't think uh, Grogu had seen his face at all in previous episodes and the previous season. So, you know, that was the first for Grogu. And, uh, you know, Grogu touches his hand, his face with his little hand and uh, Luke takes him away. And uh, it's like the slow walk back to the elevator and the music is just driving. The music with the whole, you know, Luke Skywalker scene is fantastic. Uh, it, it, it leads into like this fantastic crescendo towards the end when they're in standing in the elevator getting ready to you know close it and uh, it kind of reminded me of E.T. a little bit with that driving crescendo when E.T. standing at the uh, at the ramp to uh, his mothership and uh, the door closes credits roll and you personally I, I had the best feeling that uh, I've had, I had the best feeling about Star Wars, and that I've had in a long time. And I haven't been feeling good about Star Wars, but this with with Luke Skywalker being the Jedi that Grogu contacted through the Force, and him coming back and getting to display his prowess—you know, a prime Luke Skywalker, Grand Master Luke Skywalker—it is. Um, it's just every, it's everything I wanted from the sequels that I didn't get from the sequels. It was the proper love and respect for his character. And I cannot be more grateful to John Favreau and Dave Filoni for bringing us the Mandalorian and anything else that they've worked on in Star Wars. Dave Filoni has a fantastic, uh, fantastic resume of work between Clone Wars, Rebels, Mandalorian. It is, it, it, it's a way to drive it home, man. It's a, it's a way. It brings the nostalgia back, and it's like it lets you know you're home. And um, the final episode for me was, I, I was, I was like, this is so good. The Mandalorian is so good, and you know, it's possibly the best thing they got going for them right now. Uh, yeah. I've, oh man, that's that's all I got on tap. I've, I've gotten all my feelings out. Yeah, I mean, I will say this, you know, in responding to everything you said, you know, initially when the episode started up for me, it, it kind of followed, you know, that 
Mandalorian format that I talked about which uh, before in another episode, which is basically, you know, you got to go to this person to find out about this other person who then leads you to this other person who has the thing that you need, but then they can't actually help you access the thing. It's got to go to another person that has the thing, who has the thing, to who, who has the thing. But, uh, and then, you know, from there, you kind of get, like, the heist film uh, format where, you know, now we got now that we have the thing, we got to plan about the thing, and then, you know, they kind of go through it. But I thought this episode was overall enjoyable. I enjoyed season two just as much as I did season one. And I love the fact that how we got introduced to all these characters kind of building up in a nice crescendo, like, going through the season where we, you know, we built up and we, you know, we have we got to meet Ahsoka. We we got to see Boba Fett, and then we, you know we got our other people returning for the first season. We had you know Cara Dune coming back. You know we had, you know we had obviously you know more development. Grogu would found out more about his past and kind of who he is to a certain extent. And then you know the, with the big fucking cherry on top with the whipped cream. You know in this episode we get to see Luke Skywalker and not you know that pansy Luke that we got from the sequel trilogy. The actual Luke of how the novels built him up, how the expanded universe built him up to be after Return of the Jedi and, like, kind of the state and the state of mind and kind of, you know, the power he possessed at that point. And it was awesome seeing that and just knowing that, you know, that this uh, universe, the way they're carving it out, this expanded universe that's outside of the films, it, it, it's crazy to say, but it's like, you know, initially when Disney, you know, took over the Star Wars franchise, I was one of the people that was like, you know, this could be a big deal because, you know, Disney has all the money and, you know, they can, you know, really put a lot of heads toward this. But, you know, as we found out with the sequel trilogy, you know, having more heads doesn't necessarily mean better overall vision. And that didn't exactly work out the way we thought it was. And I will say the best thing they have done so far is Mandalorian. And that's without a shadow of a doubt. The Mandalorian has been amazing from top to bottom. But this episode really sealed it that they know what the fans want, especially, you know, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, they know what the fans want. They're willing to give to that. And they understand that, you know, we're going to have new characters that are going to have their own, you know, have their own history and their own, you know, things they can play with, such as the Mando himself and such as Grogu and Cara Dune and all these characters they introduced, where they're like, okay, we can play around with these uh, new characters and kind of mold them into how we think they should fit into the universe. But we're not going to shit on what's already there. We're going to expand upon it. We're going to bring these characters back that people know and love. And we're going to add to their legacies while also building up, you know, while also building upon the legacies of our current, you know, characters that we've just introduced. And I think they all brought it together nicely. I mean, seeing, you know, the Darksaber be brought in with Bo-Katan and seeing where that's going to lead because they had a face-off at the end of, uh, at the end of the episode where, you know, in order to get Grogu, uh, the Mando defeats Moff Gideon in combat and actually ends up getting the, the Darksaber away from him. And, you know, we find out that, you know, in this version of the history, Bo-Katan cannot take the Darksaber away from the Mando, even though he's yielding it to her, unless she defeats him in combat. And that's going to create an interesting kind of dichotomy of whether she's going to, you know, go after Mando and what, you know, and at some point when his tribe, the, the tribe that he had split apart from the, fir- from the first season because they was forced into hiding at his Mandalorian tribe, the new Mandalorians, what are they going to think about you know, him having that now, knowing that, you know, whoever gets the Darksaber controls Mandalore. And it's like, 
are they going to tell him that he has to push their agenda? Are they going to let him be? Is Bo-Katan going to be, you know, kind of that whisper in his ear being like, no, you know, I allow you to have this. You you got to push my agenda. Like, there's a lot of questions. And then we get, you know, the reveal that in a couple episodes back, before Grogu was abducted, he had called out the Force to some for someone to train him because Ahsoka said she could not. And we find out in this episode that the Jedi he had called out to was Luke Skywalker. And like you said, man, the, the way they introduce him in the scene in which he's cutting down these, you know, these death troopers and all that, he's cutting them down and he's kind of doing it in, like you said, an eerily, like, resembling way to the way Vader was cutting down soldiers at the end of Rogue One. And it's kind of like that duality that, that plays out perfectly. And even when he finally Luke gets to meet Grogu I think it's like an amazing like kind of like circle of life moment where you know Yoda trained Luke and now Luke can now return the favor to somebody of Yoda's same race and now train him the same way that Yoda you know had trained him prior and I think it's like a great like little like a circle of life moment you could almost you know you can almost hear the song playing in the background when that happened but I you know even though the episode wrapped up that way and a lot of people were sad you know that Grogu's gonna go off and do his own thing for a while. Trust me, Disney is a business at the end of the day. All the females out there watching the show primarily to see Grogu do his little cutesy thing. He'll he will be back. Don't fret. I know he will be back at some point. It's gonna happen. But what caught my eye was at the uh, end of the series. If you stay for the post credits. You got that nice, nice teaser for uh, the book of Boba Fett, which is coming out next year at this time. Currently, it's actually just a, almost a year from when we are recording this. It's coming out, and that looks very interesting. Where you get to see, you know, you get to see Boba and Fennec go to uh, Jabba Hutt's old palace and kind of take over and kind of pro- uh, now kind of uh, proclaim themselves as the new kings of the and queen of the criminal underground. And I think that's going to be cool. And I also heard that now Robert Rodriguez, in addition to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, is on board to uh, direct and produce for that series. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because forever, Star Wars fans have been wanting a kind of seedier, more focused criminal underground version of Star Wars that we only got a little peek at in Rogue One. But as a full-fledged out series with Boba Fett at the helm, I think this is gonna this is gonna be gangbusters. I think it's amazing, and they've set themselves up in such a cool way, where they can tie this back into all their other properties and kind of create their own, I guess, expanded universe within the Star Wars universe. And I think it's all leading to good places. I, I mean, I couldn't be more stoked about all of it. No doubt, no doubt. I think. Um... I think the uh, the book of Boba Fett they confirmed was going to be a separate uh, series. So uh, my my theory that the book of Boba Fett would be the third official season of the Mandalorian is pretty much all but uh, destroyed. But uh, going back going back to the whole Mando yielding the dark saber to Bo Katan, um, I kind of had a problem with that because in Rebels. Sabine straight up yields the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and she takes it. She takes it and, and, uh, and you know, proclaims her place as Mandalore. And it's like, wait, so we can do this in Rebels, but, you know, Din Jaren handing you off the Darksaber now is a problem? Why? And 
you know, like you said, I, I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, fuel for season three. This way, you know, are, is there going to be a new Mandalorian Civil War? You know, are the uh, is the uh, the covenant of you know the the no helmet taker offers? You know, this is the way, guys. Are they going to butt heads with Bo-Katan and the more modern uh, Mandalorians? But uh, I mean, you know, time will tell. I, I just thought it was funny that uh, in Rebels we we allowed Sabine, who won it in combat. Um, yielded the dark saber to Bo-Katan Bo-Katan just took it even though she was like hey no I have to win this off of you by combat nah it's okay take it she took it anyway and was like I'm I'm Mandalore now God knows how I'm gonna lose it but um yes the book of Boba Fett like I, I when when we saw him go back to Jabba's palace I was like well, what's going on and uh you know we we get to see Bib Fortuna again you know, your boy's looking a little thick. He's been eating good since Jabba went down. And uh, Boba comes down. You know, obviously Fennec comes down first and, you know, shoots all the Gamorrean guards, frees the one Twi'lek slave. And he's like, you know, get out of here. And he's like, whoa, what's going on? And then Boba comes down and Big Fortuna's like, oh, Boba, I'm so glad to see you. You're not dead, man. Oh, man, what a great, what a great occurrence. And Boba just one hands the EE3 right at his chest and just just absolutely smokes Bib Fortuna. And I was like, oh, God. Ooh, Bib. Caught it, brother. And uh, Boba, Boba throws Bib from the throne. And uh, he takes Jabba's throne for himself. And I'm like, ooh, what are we doing here? What's, what's going on? That... Um, you know, this this definitely means that Boba is off doing his own thing. He's not worried about the Mandal, you know, the struggle for Mandalore or Mandalorians themselves. Um, unlike the uh, old Legends canon, now Legends canon, where he was Mandalore. Um, but in you know that was during the Legacy of the Force. That was you know mid aughts, two thousand six, and uh, you know ever since Disney's uh, acquisition of Star Wars, they've obviously killed all the legends uh, or killed all the old canon now becoming legends and uh, they introduced the new modern Mandalorians which were way more um, way more developed people than they were in the books because Mandalorians in the old canon were a much more agrarian people sure yeah they had the clans and everything and they always had the suits and you know they always bounty hunted to make the money but they they were still you know pretty much just you know work the land sort of people Boba Fett's last name me, uh, Fett means farmer like unless they're gonna change that too which I hope not but uh, yeah it's um I want to know what Boba's gonna be up to I uh, I gotta wonder if they're going to uh, introduce more huts uh, like uh, I, I forget if zero the hut would still be alive at this point Um. We, we know that Jabba does have a son from the from the Clone Wars movie. I wonder if that's he's going to be slithering around, kind of, you know, Boba. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got to give it to them. When we know we're with the Ahsoka show, we know we're going to see. Oh, God, please, please. I, I know we're going to see Grand Admiral Thrawn. I'm hoping we see Ezra. I, I need Ezra. I need to know what happened to Ezra Miller. Because uh, the way Rebels ended, I was like, no, don't you do this. Don't you do this to me. 
and um, thankful. I'm very thankful that from the old canon they kept Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's he's a very good character. He's very unique. You know, him being a Chiss with the the blue skin and the red eyes. You know, he's like one of the only alien uh, alien commanders in the entire empire because the empire was pretty specious about that. They they really didn't want any sort of aliens in their setups. But for and for Grand Admiral Thrawn to be, you know, that guy and not only be that guy, but be like up there on the food chain, you know, he he's dangerous. And we're I hope I hope we get to see him in the Ahsoka show. I hope we get to see what find out what happened to Ezra Miller. I need that closure in my life. Oh man. And uh, obviously with all the other shows we're gonna get, I have I have no doubt. I have no doubt they're going to be just as good. And speaking of Robert Rodriguez, I think Robert Rodriguez was the one who directed the Ahsoka Tano episode of The Mandalorian. And I found that out. I was like, yes, yes. So I'm I'm glad that he's getting involved. I, I do enjoy Robert Rodriguez. I like his movies. You know, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I, that's it's all oldies, good, oldies and goldies. Absolutely terrific. You gonna, you gonna trademark that one? All these angles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Robert Rodriguez, I remember initially when they were gonna do a Boba Fett movie, he was one of the original directors they had attached to uh, do that. And I remember thinking, I was like, shit, man, if there was ever a guy that could really get you, you know, hooked up on the on the seeded goodness of what a CD underworld can be and, you know, also films one hell of a fucking gunfight scene as proved by Desperado and even his work on oh, yeah. Dusk Dawn. You, you know, if there's any guy that can, you know, film a gun scene, it's Robert Rodriguez, you know. And I think, you know, we're going to get some crazy action sequences in the show and I think, you know, we're going to get the CD underground that we want from it and we're going to see kind of what, you know, what goes down, you know, in the dune. <laughs> we're gonna see and i'm really looking forward to that and also even the possibility and i was talking about to someone else about this earlier but the possibility that we might even see other bounty hunters that are just as famous as boba that boba has not seen in a while i'm, I'm down with that so i'm down for some ig88 <laughs> uh, i also wonder like me you know not knowing as much of all the star wars lore is boss still um, around at the i time? think he is he should be I, I can't remember if they killed him off in like either Rebels or um, well he wouldn't have been around during Clone well, I mean he still would have been around during Clone Wars but um, I don't know if Trandoshans live as long as Wookiees but uh, the, you know Bosk was definitely a Wookiee slaver most Trandoshans were considering that Trandoshans you know are big and strong and considering the physicality of the Wookiees, they're pretty much the only species that can actually successfully enslave them and go toe-to-toe with them and whatnot. But, uh, oh, Boss is still around. I like Boss too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping we get to see a couple of those famous bounty hunters, like you said, with IG-88 and, you know, Boss. We get to see a couple of other, you know, even if they're not, you know, big reoccurring roles as long as they're on the show, that would be pretty cool, even as just cameos. But I want to say that was, you know, as far as that was a great, you know, Christmas present from John Favreau and Dave Filoni, that being the Mandalorian season two finale and Roger Rodriguez, you know, along with them dropped the nice, you know, little nice bow at the top of that present with uh, the teaser we got for the Book of Boba that was all 
you know, great. And, you know, as we're heading now into Christmas, we're just a few days away as we record this. So I want to talk to you uh, quickly about this. So uh, what games have you been playing this month? And uh, or have you beaten this month as you got to get yourself into the Christmas groove as we lead up um, to Christmas? I, uh, I recently, I think it was back in November, I had beaten Ghost of Tsushima. And obviously, you you know my take on that. I spoke about that all last episode. Mwah, beautiful game. Uh, fantastic, beautiful ending. Uh, platted it, did everything. Um, and then I started up uh, a game that I had started back in September when it came out. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur, Re-Reckoning. I completely missed this game uh, in the 360 days. And um, and from what I had heard, you know, I was like, oh man, that was such a good game. This, that, the third. And uh, I was sad that I had missed it. And for the longest time, I was hoping that they would re-release it or remaster it. And lo and behold, you know, my wishes got answered and they did. So uh, I started it up in September. And, um, you know, and then I juggled a few games, you know, we've, obviously been playing a lot of uh call of duty whether it be you know warzone mono warfare or now currently black ops you know into season one but uh, my main game right now is definitely kingdoms of amalur which uh as i think it's a fantastic rpg um like that game was very much Com, uh, compared to Skyrim because they came out around the same time only with Skyrim you know obviously with with the power of branding you know the older scrolls you're, you're gonna you're gonna get overshadowed really easily but um kingdoms of Amalur, like it it goes head to head with Skyrim it's it's a much better RPG than Skyrim you know its combat is just as uh, fun the mechanics are, I'd say, even better than Skyrim, especially with the magic. Magic in Skyrim is meh, boring. But in the in this game, you know, you have nice, powerful spells. You know, it's 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 well done. You know, you hold R two and then you select whatever you want to cast. It's not it's not clunky. It's it's, it's very good. Uh, combat, you know, you, combat can be a little bit repetitive, but also at the same time. You know, you as you level up, you know, to uh, the sufficient levels, you obviously unlock more combos, more moves, different magics. My one gripe about the game, um, it's got a fucking shit sound design. <laughs> like, it's got the most generic music I've heard, and like for for like fantasy games, like I. Like Skyrim, in the music department is still my gold standard when it comes to music. Like there's been no game in the fantasy side of the RPG genre that has come close to it in a long time, and it sure as shit is in Kingdoms of Amalur. It's it's a very generic, whimsical, fantasy-like sort of thing, and um, the uh, all of the enemies just kind of and and. Ugh. the swords literally sound like just random clangs hold on i gotta i gotta record something basically interlude get them while you can (laughs) but um in it's a very good game my my one biggest gripe 
audio is shit, music is shit, that whole department, I just like whatever. The, although the voice acting is decent. I'll give them the voice acting. It's just the rest of that fucking generic garbage is for the birds. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this shit. As far as games that I've been playing, I mean, I've been, like you, I've been juggling games like like a maniac, and I haven't even been playing a lot of things that have been released this year. Like, I haven't even started Ghost of Tsushima yet. Like, recently, this was probably last month, I beat Blair Witch because I'm a big fan of the film series, so I was like, why not get the game a try? And that was pretty good. I mean, not in the, I'm happy that I got it on discount off of PSN because I don't think the game is strong enough that it warrants multiple playthroughs but it was fun for the one playthrough that I that I did do and now since I have the PS5 I've been playing a lot of uh, I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales and I've been loving that so far but I'm kind of doing the thing where like since it is one of the few games that does take advantage of my PS5 besides uh, Cold War which we've been playing I'm kind of letting Miles Morales kind of like you know, age like fine wine. I'm kind of playing it, putting it down, playing it because I kind of don't want the experience to end. And I'm yeah, kind of, you know, just taking it in slowly, you know, doing one of those things. And I've also been juggling, uh, before I had gotten my PS5, the main game I was playing was uh, Doom Eternal because I got on this real big Doom kick where I beat Doom 2016. And I was like, well, time to jump right into Eternal. And I'm almost done with that as well. But kind of same case scenario as Miles Morales. I'm trying not to plow through it and I'm trying to like, kind of have it there so when I want to play it I still have things left to do in it and uh the one game I did beat recently this week which was kind of like out of left field but it's kind of a game that me and my wife like to play and uh we play a lot of the uh, dark pictures games together she was she played uh Untold Dawn with me she kind of noped out a man of Medan because she didn't really care for the story like that it was trying to portray but I kind of powered myself through that one and it was pretty fun but I I beat uh, Little Hope, which was their newest uh, entry into their Dark uh, series, uh, Dark Pictures Anthology, I should say. And I beat that this week. And I will say, uh, still, none of the ones, uh, none of the extra entries that they've created after Until Dawn have hit the spot. And I mean, they, they have not come close to what the story beats that Until Dawn hit, which was, you know, still, for lack of a better word, like a cheesy 80 slasher movie but i kind of dig that i don't think it needs to get more complex than that whereas this, these other games have kind of gotten into mythos and like other ideas and trying to build like an expanded universe within the game series and now they're kind of playing around with a lot of psychological horror that maybe what you see isn't really there whereas in the first game for until dawn spoilers if anybody hasn't played there's an actual real physical threat that is not in your head. There's actual creatures in the game that can hurt you and will kill you if they get the chance. Whereas in Man of Medan, spoilers as well, it's you find out after playing it that, you know, there was some kind of a military gas released on the ship that you were on that's forcing people to hallucinate. So the ghosts they're seeing are not actually there. It's from the gas. And in this new game, Little Hope, you, uh, you see a family in the beginning of the game they uh kind of you know are kind of like your normal everyday family in the in the sense that they're all you know there's a lot of siblings they're all quarreling with each other the mother and father are going under hard times because of financial hardship and they're kind of going back at one another the father's turned to to drinking and this is all taking place i believe it's 1972 and then right there in the opening intro uh 
there's a big house fire. Everybody dies except one of the siblings, and they survive. And then it fast forwards into current time, and there's a bus crash, and you have to take control of a a professor and uh, four college students. And you basically are now trapped in this town called Little Hope that you can't escape from. That makes me think that it, they wanted it to be Silent Hill because even the sign for the town looks just like the Silent Hill sign. There's fog everywhere and they wanted it to be kind of like <laughs> Silent Hill. They're like, fuck that. I'm not paying for that IP. So they kind of did their own thing with it. And you're kind of trapped in this town and you're seeing a lot of things that you, you remember from your childhood and you don't understand why they're in this town. Or like how they're showing up there, but they are, and you also have these weird kind of demonic creatures chasing you around the town, and you just have to try to survive the night. And that's the point with all these dark pictures games. They're choose your own adventure type of games, and, and they run on a relationship system where you know depending on what you say or do to people can change how they'll react and the choices you'll get later in the game and how just generally how the game world shapes around you, which leads for multiple playthroughs and. My wife is not a video game player by, you know, any stretch. She's not big into video games, but she will sit down and watch me and we'll kind of like go over discussions about how to make choices in these games and kind of what we shouldn't do, what we should do, or where we think we're going to screw up if we lose somebody. And these games even have a mechanic where you can pick up like in-game collectible that may give you like a 10-second premonition of something that may happen later in the game. You won't know what that, what that premonition that's shown to you, what uh, choice that's going to be the outcome of. But you just know that's coming up at some point and just best keep that in mind when making choices go further, which I think is cool. But I will say overall, this this game, while it was enjoyable for the time it ran, it didn't do anything new. It kept the same formula and it was much easier than the other games that have come before because on our first playthrough, we were able to keep everyone alive. And we actually got the best ending on our first playthrough, which usually for the Dark Picture games is pretty hard because sometimes making the right choice is a pretty moral gray area. And just one wrong choice can give you the bad ending. And we were able to get the best ending and everyone survived through and through. And it's like, you know, if I'm going to play another one of these games, they've kind of, kind of got to reinvent the wheel going forward and, you know kind of do something new or at least you know without spoiling anything of this go back to having real threats and kind of get away from the psychological horror because i don't mind psychological horror but i don't like it in big doses and i feel like in order for the tension to keep up at least for me for the type of person i am i need a real physical threat to be there present or else you know i'm not as afraid of it if i know that it's you know if i kind of figure out during my playthrough that this thing isn't really going to hurt me because it's not a real thing and you know you kind of have that dichotomy going on in that game but other than that i wouldn't i would say i'd recommend it if you can catch it on sale you know if you want to try it out you're into these games but if you have a ps5 or even a ps4 the best way to get into the series honestly is just get until dawn for free for the ps plus collection if you can't get it there catch it at a deep deep sale it's usually on sale for sometimes way less than 10 bucks i've even seen it as cheap as 3.99 or 4.99 on psn at times i think that's the best way to get into the series and yeah that's kind of what me and mike have been playing but uh going into this one thing i want to end the podcast on since it is christmas time uh just to kind of go down memory lane what was one thing or if even if you want to name some things gaming related that were the biggest things that you got for christmas that you could not wait for that you were just like holy shit i I got this 
this this is my Christmas break. I'm done here. So I go back to school. This this is what I'm doing. Like, what were some of those big Christmas memories for you that you have memories of? Of like, you know, things you got that were gaming related that you wanted and you wanted it so badly. And finally, when you got um, it, you were like, Christmas is the best. Ever. I think for that particular memory, I can't remember if I was like 11 or 12. It might have been no. I, I might have been younger. I might have been like 10. I. It was the year that I had gotten, okay, I, I might have been a lot younger, because considering when the Sega Saturn came out, it was like the mid-90s, so I might have been like seven or eight. But um, one of the best Christmas memories I have is at my dad's house, and, uh, you know, he had a shit ton of presents under the tree, and just opening almost everything up, and I, I had gotten the Sega Saturn, and, you know, I, I I was big into Sega back then. You know, I always loved the Sega Genesis. Um, so seeing the Sega Saturn and just seeing, like, how much better it was than the Sega Genesis, I, I was ecstatic. You know, I, my dad had gotten the full Monty. He had gotten the Sega Saturn. He had gotten the special um, analog joystick, you know, controller that they had, you know, the premium stuff. He had gotten, you know, a few games for it. Uh, he'd also gotten me, you know, a super dope uh, Darth Vader collectible uh, action figure. It was kind of like a foot tall. Um, it had actual leather. And uh, I, to this day, I don't know where that thing is. So I'm kind of sad about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd have to say that uh, that that's probably one of my most, you know, memorable Christmases. It's the one that comes comes up the most okay and for me it's, it's kind of be the good be the same thing as it was you know kind of with you with the sacred Saturn, but a little bit different for me in the sense that one of my uh, actually have two but my first big memory that i have of christmas you know sitting around the tree you know hoping that i got it and i got it when i was a kid and I mean, I still am to this day, but to a lesser extent, I was a big wrestling fan and I loved playing wrestling video games. Didn't matter what console they were on, didn't matter what company it was from. I mean, even the, the crappiest of titles like WCW Nitro for the PlayStation, if you put it on, I was playing it because it had guys wrestling and, you know, you had all the big larger than life characters of that, you know, that era. And, you know, I just enjoyed it. I remember seeing people and seeing people playing in uh dragon's den back in the day when that was a thing in software etc seeing people playing wrestlemania 2000 on the nintendo 64 and at the time i was one of those people that didn't get into the nintendo 64 even though it came out pretty early before the playstation i was i only had the playstation i would have to go over to my friend's house to play golden eye and all that stuff and play you know you know mario kart or play any of the games that were on you know super mario 3d any of those games that were on the 64 i would have to go over his house to play it and i remember going you know telling my parents hey i want to can i get the nintendo 64 with wrestlemania 2000 no no way to tell i already had the playstation you know I, there was no way i was gonna believe that uh my parents were going to give me that and lo and behold you know christmas day come they're like you want to open up your gifts i open up my gifts got the i <laughs> got the cool nintendo 64 got wrestlemania 2000 got goldeneye got the controller that came with the system and a purple see-through controller that was all the rage at that time you remember the see-through controllers and yeah and i remember getting that and just going 
oh my god, this is amazing. I remember sitting there my whole break, all my friends were coming over they, who had M64s, and we're all plugging in all our controllers and all, you know, playing four, the four-man modes and doing season modes and, and WrestleMania 2000 and just losing my mind. And remember being like, oh my god, this is so amazing. And even my stepfather at the time, he liked Goldeneye, and we would play all the time. And I used to love screwing him over, setting up proximity mines all over, all over the maps. And then as soon as he would walk in, he'd think he had me sighted up, but I just pressed the button on the lock, and the screen turned red instantly. It's amazing, and I, I have fond memories. I remember just going crazy playing the Nintendo 64 and being like, "Oh my god, this is the best thing ever." And then my second memory came a few years later. I want to say I was probably 12 at the time, and I had the PlayStation 2. But I had my eyes on the Xbox, and I had mentioned it in passing to my uh, parents, hey, I want the Xbox, you know, not even knowing what I wanted to play on it at the time, because Halo was kind of the launch title that came out with that, and like, you know, I didn't know if I was going to like Halo, yeah, like, yeah, I knew it was a first-person shooter, but I didn't know if I was going to like it or not, and I remember just being like in passing, oh yeah, you know, ma, this uh, this new system, the Xbox is coming out, it's going to compete with the PlayStation, and uh, they got they got all these games that are supposedly going to look better and going to be more powerful than the PlayStation 2 and all this stuff. And I remember like mentioning it in passing, not thinking anything of it, not thinking she was definitely going to get it or anything. And I remember Christmas that year, they asked me, do you want this? Do you want that? And I remember the only thing I asked for for Christmas that year might have been Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. That might have been the only thing I asked for maybe that year. And... I didn't think nothing of it. I saw a big box under the tree. She was, you know, it's Christmas Day. It's time to open presents. There it was. I opened it up, got an Xbox. Not only did I get Halo, but it actually, that day actually introduced me to a game that I didn't even bother to ask or try to play before that. Hey. She had also got me Max Payne to go with it. And Max Payne, as we both know that first game, well, you know, as ancient as it seems today and as archaic as it is, a little old 12 year old me who had no business playing a game where a guy pops painkillers to keep himself going through but <laughs> the game was amazing yep. I mean yep. fuck those blood, uh, blood cream levels I'll never forget those fuck that but uh that yeah yep exactly just hearing babies crying while you're trying to run through a you know run on a bloodstream and not knowing where you're going it was amazing from 12 year old me but uh I remember that loving that game and doing the slow motion and play and I, in the fond memory I have of that night, that first night, my mom made a nice big bowl of baked ziti. And I remember eating the baked ziti and, and playing the Max Payne and shooting <laughs> at the mob guys and feeling so Italian because they were all mobsters. And I'm over here eating baked ziti while laying waste to them. And I'm like, I was like, this is what it feels like to be in the family, huh? And I, and, and I just have fond memories of that. And I feel I miss those days when things were simpler and, you know, you, you, you booted up a console and, you know, you got it the first day and just even you know the first boot up sound it made and the first launch of the ui which just had you frozen in astonishment you know after you plugged in all those you know uh all those cables for the the video oh and the, the video and audio the red the red the yellow and the white and you plug those composite cables i should say into the back and you were like oh my god once you got that boot up like the xbox had that cool like little electronic like and like it started up and then the gamecube having that and having start up and then the ps2 having its cool startup and the ps1 I, I which i think is arguably startups, the man. startups of they're all not time. what they used to be and they need and... to go back to glory like <laughs> 
I, I missed them before booting up a game every game having to do that playstations uh you know kind of echo yep. chamber sound that they would do on the playstation one regardless of who was publishing the game i i, I missed that and, and i missed same way on the xbox like booting it up in the same way on the gamecube when you started the game when you got you know the kind of the the, the tic-tac sound as it was making the g and then and like those were all like cool memories and like things i have of those consoles and like from christmas specifically that you're playing the xbox and playing halo and my stepfather walking by and be like holy crap this game looks amazing and like it looks really fun him getting into it and playing halo and then my mom seeing seeing Max Payne and seeing all the cursing, even though it was in comic reels that they did for the cutscenes, and then seeing all the... seeing Her seeing me blast a guy with a 12-gauge while diving in <laughs> slow motion in a crack house made her rethink that purchase. But... <laughs> but, like, I, uh... You know, you know, I'm still here, I'm not in jail, so I guess, you know, it didn't corrupt me as bad as she thought it was. But, you know those were the times that I miss and those are the things I'm going to remember especially about Christmas when it comes especially to gaming and I think those are the times I yearn for again I mean look at here now it's not the same it's like yeah I saved up my money you know from working and doing whatever I had to do got myself an Xbox Series X and I got myself a PlayStation 5 but it's like it's not the same as when you're not expecting nothing and you go under the tree and you open it and just that you know that majesty of seeing it for the first time and like you know obligatory even though it wasn't a thing back then instagram and all these social media sites that exist having to take you know the taking that uh that big uh what is it called uh, kind of that brag picture post you know so you know those are one of my biggest I agree. memories it's um it's i mean because like you know it's when you were a kid so everything is new you know, you kind of expect things now when, you know, especially when you're our age, when you're in your 30s and it's like, all right, I know what to expect. It's whatever. Uh, when you're a kid and you boot things for the first time, it's a whole new experience. It's a, it's a whole new world, you know, and just, man, you, you yearn for, for the old. You really do. Yep, 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 you definitely do. And, uh, you know, since we're getting a little long in the tooth here, that's, you know, we're, we're going to kind of stop it. We just wanted to get an episode out to everyone before Christmas and, uh, you know, kind of talk about the few things that have happened since the podcast launched. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And, you know, Mike does as well for everyone that has supported us thus far and has, you know, subscribed to the podcast, has just taken the time to listen to the podcast and has, you know, spoken, you know, spoken kind words to us about it. We want to thank you all for tuning in and we hope that you stick around as we continue uploading more episodes. And we want to say thank you. And once again, since it is Christmas, happy holidays to all of you. We hope you enjoy the holidays and we hope you enjoy yourself going into the new year. And we hope to see you around next time on the J. Mike Take Flight Podcast. Thank you.